0: Pastor Ed Taylor encourages us to see ourselves as a missionary, and that'll affect how you use your freedoms in the Lord.
1: When you're thinking of your life in the world right now, think of yourself as a missionary, as a missionary to your family. Changes your perspective a little bit, doesn't it? In your workplace, like you're an ambassador, a messenger. For the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who desires to use your lips and your life and your free will choices to draw people to himself and bring conviction of sin in their life and bring about repentance.
0: This is amazing grace. The city of Corinth was engaged in idolatry big time. There were also several pagan temples in the city and each one was quite popular. You can see why the apostle Paul felt it was so important to get the message of Christ to these people, that their hopes shouldn't be placed in things made by the hands of men, but rather in the hands of the one who made men. This is Abounding Grace. Open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 10 now as we join Pastor Ed Taylor. We're about to learn that Christian liberty doesn't include the freedom to sin.
1: One of the things that the church in Corinth missed was understanding how to live in the grace of God. I believe they understood the grace of God. I believe they experienced the grace of God. But I also believe, as we study through this letter, that they misunderstood how to apply it. And I would say that living in the grace-filled freedom that we have in Jesus requires us to say yes to a few things and no to other things. And that's an important distinction. Yes to some things, but also no to other things. And there are some, and you could be in that category that misunderstand grace. Grace, that unmerited favor of God, his unconditional love toward us that... Not because of any work that you have ever done or ever will do, God's love is on you. But because of his work and his finished work, grace. All of God's riches at the expense of Jesus Christ. Now I went out of order, but you can use the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. You can use that word to remember that really that's the essence of grace. Some believe that grace teaches to christians to us just to us here there, there are those that believe that grace teaches anything goes i mean come on ed i'm under the grace of god i have freedom in the lord i am free in christ to do whatever i want to do even and and some go over the edge they, they become lawless and they'll go i'm free to do whatever i want even if it's sinful and that's why I wanted you to look at Romans chapter 6 with me for a moment in verse 1 because that question is answered. Grace never gives you and I permission to sin. Never, ever. And this is just one part. This is just one point. We could go all over the scriptures, but I want to build this for you as you understand what Paul is telling the church in Corinth. In verse 1 of chapter 6, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And you know what he says? The answer there in verse 2? Certainly not. In the NIV, it's translated by no means. In the New Living Translation, of course not. In the old King James, God forbid. I think that's a pretty strong way of the original language. No. No, we can't continue and just like continue in sin, hoping, well, hey, you know, that's how the idea goes. if, If God's grace abounds, that was the point with being made in Romans. If God's grace abounds where much sin abounds then in order to to experience the grace of God, then we just got to go in that route of much sin. Paul says, no, 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 no. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And sin abounded. It was out of control. It was destructive and devastating in your life, in my life, in our life, and God intervened. Grace abounded much more and rescued you and me so we're not have to live in sin anymore we've died to it spiritually and now we're alive to jesus grace now reigns and rules in our lives not so that we can do whatever we want according to our own desires but now to do whatever we want in the lord very key paul knows that there will be those people who will twist the grace of jesus to their own destruction and he wants us to learn and grow You know, the argument goes something like this. And we hear this a lot as we counsel and as we open the word in dealing with people that are just really wrestling with stuff. And and we determine it's very clear how they got there. And we start to take the acts of God's word and go right to the root, which isn't always popular. Uh, Not everyone that comes in for counseling really wants to be counseled. And I know who they are because they leave very mad and they leave very upset. They leave with that sense and it's almost as if, well, what did you expect from a church that loves Jesus? The truth. Hopefully we're delivering in such a way that is in love. But again, when you and I are caught up in any kind of sin, I mean, any kind of correction is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you? How could you? And the argument goes, well, you know, since sin abounds, in order to see God's abounding grace, we should abound in sin. Let's just go out and do whatever we want. Sin to our heart's content. Just sort of live like the world, live in the world, because, hey, you know, that's where God's grace really shows up. But that's not Paul's teaching at all. He says, no way. From the heart of the original language, you know, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. From the heart of the original language, the idea behind this word or this phrase, certainly not, God forbid, has the idea of mega. There's an emphasis. It's not just no, it's like a mega no. No, no way. It's as strong as you can possibly get on this question. That we don't live in grace just to do whatever we want. The answer is clear. Now, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, because the testimony of those that not only were with Jesus, but were ministered and discipled by Jesus, or by, you know, Paul had that personal discipleship after he was saved, and then Peter hung out with Jesus. Let's find out what Peter had to say in 1 Peter chapter 2. So that's going to be to the right. 1 Peter chapter 2, pick up with me in verse 16. 1 Peter 2 verse 16. Let's see what he has to say. He says, well, pick up in verse 15. We'll get the beginning of the sentence here. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, because that's what grace does. It frees you. You're free in the Lord, man. You just you're 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 enjoying him, you're living for him, you're enjoying the benefits of being you're free. So you live as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. Let me let me translate into language that we may be easier to understand. Don't use the grace of God as an excuse to sin. As a covering a cloak. You go, hey, hey, look at your life. I compare your life with the word of God and, and it just doesn't line up. No, brother, I'm under grace. I can... No, no, no. You're using grace right now as a cloak to excuse your behavior. Don't do that. It's not the wise use. It's not a cloak to stumble someone and to stumble, not just believers. A lot of the time we look at stumbling as if just to stumbling believers, and there is an element of that where it's easy for us to stumble believers, but I want you to broaden that scope for a second and understand that your behavior, even unbelievers understand what it means to follow Jesus. They don't want to do it, but they understand it. I mean, isn't it true you make one mistake around an unbeliever and they call you on it? How do they know? Like, well, I didn't know Christians did. And you're like, yeah, I know, I blew it, man. Like, they're experts on what it is to live for Jesus. They just don't want to do it. They're just in that place of resistance and rebellion. And so when you're thinking of your life in the world right now, think of yourself as a missionary, as a missionary to your family. Changes your perspective a little bit, doesn't it? In your workplace, like you're an ambassador, a messenger, for the king of kings and the Lord of lords who desires to use your lips and your life and your free will choices to draw people to himself and bring conviction of sin in their life and bring about repentance. And when you look at yourself that way, it's not just stumbling out of their believers, but it's stumbling unbelievers. And just having one more excuse, one more reason. And, and it's not just the episodic issues that we have. That's not what's being addressed here where we're living in the world, we stumble, we, we fall, we, we're knuckleheads, we, we weren't, you know, we, we, we kind of left our devotions for a couple days and now we're all in the flesh or we're quicker to get in the... I'm not talking about the, the, the normal everyday life of, of growing and, you know, falling and tripping and those kind of things. This is addressing those that say they're Christians, claim to be Christians, they have their Bible on their desk, it's always open, but their lives betray... If we were to write a Bible... Based on their lives, it would be greatly different than God's revelation. So, oh, you know, this is what, this is, this is, and, and like, wait a minute, what kind of life is that? That's what's being addressed here. Don't use grace. Don't think that grace is an excuse just to do whatever you want. Don't use, li- don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice, but remember, he says in verse 16, that you're servants of God. In the New Living Translation, it actually translates, verse 16... But your freedom is not an excuse to do evil. And that hits it on the head. It's not to be used for ourselves. Freedom isn't for ourselves. Freedom's for the Lord. He has freed us so that we can live for him. He's taken away the shackles and the bondage of our lives so we can enjoy him, so we can see him clearly, so that his life becomes our life. And as we live, we live in him and for him. That's what freedom's for. Freedom isn't to come up and go, hey, 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 you know, now that I'm saved, I, I know I'm not really dabbling in those things, but I still got this little thing over here. And after all, God, he's okay with that. And now, you know, it's grace. And, and then there's that pattern, huh? It keeps coming up. Recently in our church, this topic keeps coming up. The idea of coming on a Wednesday night, maybe Wednesday nights is your main service. This is where you worship. This is, this is the place. This is where, you know, because your work schedule, whatever it might be, Wednesday nights just becomes a, a wonderful place of, of worship. It's your primary. So using Wednesday nights, for example, tonight, you're, you're here, you're, you're up into the heavenlies, but maybe even after service, you already have sinful behavior already planned. You're going to go out and party. You're going to head over in an area where you just know that it's not going to be good for you. You've got something already ready on your DVR or already on the internet that by the time you get home, you're going to start living back in that cesspool of sin. It's going to mess you up. But in your mind, hey, man, so Grace, Ed, come on. It'll be so heavy. I could do what I want. I love the Lord, but your actions say you don't. And then you're waiting for next Wednesday because you got that sweetness of. Communion just between you and the Lord. You know we're going to be able to, Lord willing, we'll be here, we'll be able to sing unto him. There can be an opportunity for repentance and and you're cycling it out, right? You come to worship, live like the devil, come to worship, live like the devil. And you could be in that category where you're just living under this cloak of grace when all the while God has so much more for you. He has so much more for you. It's always looked at as a, well, you know, God doesn't want me to do this. He won't let me do this. Christians can't do that. No, no, no. You ask God, what's good for your life? Say, God, just evaluate your life. Is this good for me? Is this going to, and we'll get to some questions a little bit later on how to use our freedom so that you can start applying them in your life. Peter says it. Paul says it. Turn over to Titus. Titus is just a few pages over. Turn over to Titus for a second. And let me show you it's first Timothy, second Timothy, it's to the left. Let me show you first Titus chapter 2. Grace actually teaches us. When you embrace the wonderful grace of God, it teaches us. Look at verse 11. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. I bet you didn't know that grace can teach. When you're living in the grace of God, you and I are being taught how to live. Notice, teaching us that denying ungodliness, so ungodliness is everything that doesn't match up with God. That makes sense, right? Ungodliness, things that don't measure up where you you look at it and you go, that's just not, that's not God-like. Another way of looking at ungodliness is that stuff's not going to be in heaven. It's not in heaven right now. So denying grace teaches us, number one, denying ungodliness and, notice the second one, denying worldly lust. that's all the temptations and all the craziness that's going on in our world, that we should live soberly. You know what soberly means? Not drunk. Whether it's drunk in alcohol or drunk under some influence of drugs or even you can be drunk with, with fame and fortune and success. You can be drunk with a lot of things under its control. That a Christian, one of the marks of a believer living in grace, understanding the teachings of grace, is that he or she lives soberly. There's a soberness about them. That's beautiful. Righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a whole other Bible study in and of itself. But Paul, as he's writing to Titus, ties the coming of the Lord to holiness, righteousness, ungodliness, or godliness and denying ungodliness, denying worldly lusts. A lot of times there'll be those that look at the rapture of the church and the expectation of the church. You know, every generation of believers expected Jesus to return at any moment. That's how the disciples lived their lives in every successive generation. They didn't put it off. They didn't say it already happened. They lived in anticipation. You know what that does? That puts a godliness in your life and an urgency in your life. As you're waiting and anticipating and just enjoying the presence, not only, not only what God's doing in your life right now, but what he's going to do as Jesus returns according to his promise. So, with all that in mind, come over to 1 Corinthians now and we'll pick up where we left off in chapter 10. In verse 14, 1 Corinthians 10 as we look at this early church and learn from them. First Corinthians 10, verse 14. Paul's writing, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Remember verse 13? No temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. You, therefore, beloved, flee idolatry. So the idea is running here, running away, run away, run away through the escape, and one of the things that they were dealing with, because the city was very idolatrous, was run away from idolatry. I speak, he says in verse 15, to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. Haven't you ever found yourself like that with someone? Like there's a battle going on, you're talking, you're sharing, and, and they're just not connecting. You got you know what, you just, just judge for yourself what I'm saying. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to take it because I said it. I'm not trying to convince you. I don't need to be right in your life. You know, that's also an error that's made when you're sharing the gospel, where your goal is to win the argument instead of winning the person over to the love of Jesus. And you know what? You might win the argument, but lose the soul. And you can leave like, wow, that was good, man. I read that book. And man, I bam, 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 bam. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, you were so theologically right. And you just missed the heart of the matter. You just you, told, you know you were talking to a person, not a machine, a person with hurts, a person with issues, a person that's probably under the weight of sin. They probably live that way so long. They maybe have an addiction, or maybe they were hurt. I, I, who knows? And it's not just enough to make the right argument. It's to speak the truth in what? Yeah, you know, the agape love, the same agape love that broke your heart, softened you up the same goodness of the Lord that brought you to repentance, right? Wasn't it goodness? were not you just blown away that God, after all that you have done and thought and every thought you've ever had, every action you've ever, I mean, didn't it just blow your way that God, he didn't turn his back on, he still loved you? I know it blew me away. Like, are you kidding me? Surely God knows all about me and he still sent his son Jesus to die for me. it just, that's what, that, that, that is the encounter that you and I have the privilege of bringing into people's lives. Bringing the love of God. And just win an argument. I mean, you could walk away really justified in your own heart. Just like Paul warned earlier in 1 Corinthians. Remember, if anyone thinks he knows anything, what? He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. And we could be very, very smart in the Bible. We can quote chapter and verse and miss the heart of God. And and God will use his word, but he is going to have a hard time using you. (laughs) He's like, yeah, you could share in the right truth, but it's the wrong delivery. And so he says, just judge for yourselves. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread in one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Earlier in this letter, Paul exhorted the church to run away from sexual immorality. Now he says to run away from idolatry. Run away from any person, any activity, any hobby, any idea that gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Don't worship pastors. Don't worship churches. Don't worship guys on the radio or on TV or gals for that matter. Worship Jesus. And understand that the men and women that God's brought into your life are just vehicles that God's used to get you where you need to go. And that's right to his his very presence. And don't we make great error when we put all our hope in man? Haven't you found that to be true yet? I mean, you don't have to learn from that bad example. Like, you don't have to learn it the hard way, but unfortunately, that's one we do have to learn the hard way. And it is even from from a leader's perspective, from a pastor's perspective, it's very important for spiritual leaders and pastors to not accept the praise of men. Any praise goes directly to Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy of all that he's done among us. He is alone is worthy of the work that he's on, that's ongoing in our lives. And to receive not the praise of man, the appreciation. It's like, oh man, you know, Pastor Ed, this, this really ministered me. Isn't it great? You will know, find, Isn't it great how the Lord works? Isn't it great? I said something that really blessed you? That's amazing. That just blows my mind. Why? Because the
0: spirit of God is moving among us. Pastor Ed Taylor reminding us Jesus alone is worthy of praise. And this is Abounding Grace, our Monday edition. We've been in 1 Corinthians 10 today. Pastor Ed, as we closed, you encouraged our listeners to run away from idolatry or, or anything that gets in the way of our relationship with Jesus. Can you think of some modern-day idols that are really hindering Christians today? You know, Larry, that's a great question. Uh, I, I appreciate it
1: how these questions are so insightful because most people today would not say that they are idolatrous because they automatically associate idolatry with little statues or little pendants or little lucky charms type of, uh, of statues. But idolatry is running to or having anything satisfy you giving you a peace, giving you a sense of comfort and encouragement other than Jesus Christ. Now, what I mean by that is that when idolatry takes place, we are no longer worshiping or relying upon the one true God, but rather on something or someone else. I think the number one idol in our culture today is self, and it's manifested in a narcissistic attitude where everything revolves around self and we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to post endless selfies and we're going to make sure I take care of myself and it's all about me. And I mean, we've been in the me generation since Adam and Eve. I think that's the most common idol. Um, and I know we could think of, uh, you know, all this time wasted on cell phones and television and internet and YouTube and Netflix. and But really the essence of idolatry is a... Uh, Running away from the one true God. Let me give you a couple other idols. Alcohol is an idol. Uh, Status is an idol. Money is an idol. Uh, I think of, you know, drugs, marijuana, you know, the things that uh, in our state have been made legal. And so that has given some people this idea, well, if it's legal, it's okay with God. That's not true. Not everything legal is okay with God. And so there are idols that are legal and illegal, and there are idols that manifest themselves in taking the place of God in your life. So be careful that you not place yourself in the position of God, like Romans chapter one teaches, but that he is and remains the one true God in your life.
0: Yes, God alone is deserving of our worship and the throne in our lives, Today's very helpful study can be heard again online at calvaryco.church or access it through our free app. Search for Calvary Aurora. We have picked out a wonderful book by Christopher Yuan this month. It's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. In it, he explores the concept of holy sexuality, both chastity as you're single and faithfulness in marriage. Whether you want to share God's truth with someone who struggles in this area or you're wrestling with questions yourself, order a copy of Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. We're making it available to those that support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Give us a call at 877 30 GRACE. That number again, 877 30 GRACE. And please remember, we are listener supported. Simply put, That means we look to our listeners to help us with the costs of being on the radio. Well, glad you've taken time out to study 1 Corinthians with us. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow for Abounding Grace when we'll pick up what we left off in this very helpful and applicable epistle. This is amazing grace.